Hey, if you have your Bible with you, turn to John chapter one, and we're gonna continue this morning in our series called Cancel Culture. And I've shared over the last few weeks that there's a couple different things that I believe are the heart of the Lord behind this series. And the first is that God would grow us in boldness in our faith through greater levels of abiding in Christ and dependency upon the Holy Spirit. That in the culture that we live in today, there's gonna be an increasing need for the people of God to discover the grace to speak the truth in love and to walk in the, in the truth of God that is expressed to the people of the world who are lost through the grace of Jesus Christ. And that the way we could do that is to be moved by compassion for hurting people, but to also have conviction that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And to have courage to be willing to enter into places where people need to hear about a God who still saves, who still restores, who still rescues and redeems. And the second thing that I believe the heart of the Lord is for this series is to help us to just identify the places that inevitably begin to creep into our life. Where in some area of your life, we can begin to look up and realize that the culture of the world has begun to influence us. In some ways, in greater ways than the word of God that we will begin to recognize the places where the culture of the world around us has begun to influence us in a greater way than the kingdom of God within us. So we've titled this cancel culture, and if you're not familiar with that term, and allow me the grace to just kind of catch us up all to speed, and especially those who might be joining us for the first time, that's a term that's been given to this recent movement, this recent phenomenon, this attempt to, to minimize, marginalize, intimidate, or even eliminate differing opinions or beliefs. And in an increasing way, especially beliefs or statements or positions related to family values or biblical morality. And there's a couple things that have been real important for me to state as we've gotten into these messages within this series. And one is this, that there are issues where accountability should be required. There are issues where accountability should be required. For example, racism. The only room in the body of Christ that there is for any talk about any supremacy of any kind is the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ over his church that is comprised of every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. So there's room for people to be accountable for things that grieve the heart of God. But unfortunately, the effort to silence, harass, intimidate has not stopped with accountability for legitimate wrongs. We've seen it extend to disagreements over politics, over health decisions, over family values, and again, especially in this day, it seems like one of the, the, the issues of our day, of our generation, is especially regarding anything having to do with biblical morality, especially as it speaks to gender and sexuality. So again, part of the heart of the series is for us to apprehend a greater boldness to shine the light of Jesus in a culture that desperately needs Jesus. And, and we do that through greater dependency upon God, through abiding in Christ, through depending upon the Holy Spirit. And, and here's what you need to, to be aware of is just like you and I once desperately needed Jesus, just like you and I continue to need the grace of God in our lives, that's what people need. And the Bible says in John chapter one, verse 14, it describes Jesus and it says this, it says, the word became flesh, and made his dwelling among us, speaking of the Lord. And it says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son, who came from the Father, and then catch this, 
full of grace, say grace, grace. and truth, say truth. truth. Ephesians 4, verse 14 through 15 says this, we won't be tossed and blown about by every new wind of teaching, your, your word might say new doctrine. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies, so clever they sound like the truth. There's lots of things being introduced into our culture, even invading the church. And he says, instead, we will speak the truth in love. Come on, say, speak the truth in love. Growing in every way more and more like Christ. You want to grow more and more like Christ? You'll be filled with grace and truth. You'll speak the truth, but you'll do it in love. So, Part of the heart of this series is for us to grow in our boldness, understanding that the world around us needs to hear about Jesus. But secondly, and what I really want to focus on today, is recognizing the areas in our life where we become more influenced by the culture around us. In other words, it's kind of a play on words. Cancel culture. Cancel culture is the thing we talked about earlier is a noun. I'm asking us to look at it like a verb. Cancel culture. Cancel the influence of the culture around us. Because again, it's inevitable. There will be places and times in our lives, in different areas of our lives, where we can look up and we can realize that the the world around us, the beliefs, the thoughts, the systems, the structures of the world can begin to influence us in a greater way than the word of God within us. And the Bible addresses it very clearly in Romans chapter 12. And you probably learned the scripture somewhat like this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. But I love the way that the message translation unpacks that same verse, Romans 12 verse 2, when it says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. And the Bible wouldn't warn us about this if, if God didn't know that it was possible to become a reality in our life. And none of us is immune from, again, looking up and realizing, wow, the way that the culture is going, the direction that the culture is training, the way that the culture believes, the decisions that people are making around me are beginning to influence me, are beginning to influence the way I see people, the way I see the world, the way I see finances, the way I see government, the way I see sexuality. And I'm telling you that the Bible says very clearly we need to be careful that we don't become so well-adjusted to the culture that we fit in without thinking about it. And today, I wanna talk to you about canceling an area of the culture that I believe is one of the places in our culture that is most felt in the world at large and unfortunately in the body of Christ. And I want to talk to you today about canceling worry and anxiety. And you know, if, if you look into it, the World Health Organization, and have your own opinion about that organization, but they, they, they did a study and they said that the greatest pandemic that the world is facing is actually anxiety. 275 million people, according to their estimate, are, are, are gripped with, with a clinical anxiety that is debilitating. That number came before the pandemic, and they haven't had a chance to refresh the number, but they're, they, they, now their estimates say that, and I think it's probably conservative, that that number is likely to be 25% higher than it was pre-pandemic because of the pandemic and all the shutdowns and the, and the controversy and the division that that introduced into our culture. And how many of you agree that that's probably a conservative number? But if you believe that that's a conservative number, what you're saying is that almost 400 million people are gripped with debilitating anxiety. 
And, and, and let me encourage you with something. Here's the good news. Just because something is becoming more commonplace or embraced as normal in our culture does not mean that as believers we have to experience it. That's what the Bible is saying right there. He's saying, you need, to look, you need to look up and realize that just because the world is starting to say it's kind of normal to deal with fear or worry or anxiety, and there might be even some legitimate reasons that you might be justified to have those things, the Bible says you do not have to fall into that category. And listen, I believe that dealing with this issue of fear, worry, and anxiety, and we'll get into what God has to say about the opposite spirit, about walking in peace and security, but I believe it's more important than ever to embrace this message because as we look around our world, there really could be some legitimate reasons for you to deal with or grapple with fear, worry, or anxiety. I was reminded about Exodus chapter 10, which is the accounting of the plagues that the Lord sent to the nation of Egypt to, to try to soften Pharaoh's heart to let his people go. And you remember what the ninth plague was, it was the second to last plague and it almost got Pharaoh's attention. He, he, he was releasing the people, but when the people of God said, but we must be able to take our livestock with us so that we could worship our God, it says that Pharaoh's heart, heart once again was hardened. And unfortunately, it led to the 10th and most uh, sad and unfortunate plague. But the ninth plague was the plague of darkness. And I wanna just read it to you because I think there's something really profound and powerful that also can be encouraging to you and I because I believe that this passage in some ways relates to the culture of our day today. And here's what it says, Exodus chapter 10, verse 21, it says, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards the sky so that darkness spreads over Egypt. Catch this, watch what it says. It says, darkness that can be felt. How many know that's, that's dark right there? That's really dark. And how many know that there's a darkness that's invading our culture and our society that you can feel today? And, and, and it says, so Moses stretched out his hand towards the sky, total darkness, covered all of Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or move about for three days, but catch this, here's the good news. Yet all the Israelites, which represents the people of God, which today represents you and I in a new and better covenant through Jesus Christ, all of the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. And the same promise is true for you and I today. There's a darkness that's increasing in the culture and the society around us, but the promise of God is that if you'll be found in him, if you'll put your hope in him, if you'll put your trust in him, the darkness around in the world today might even be tangibly felt, but there can be a light that resides within your home. There could be a light that continues to reside within your heart, even in the midst of the darkness of the day. Someone ought to say thank you, Jesus, and amen. Jesus talks about it, so that's an Old Testament illustration of what we're up against. In Luke chapter 21, Jesus begins to speak very specifically and intentionally to you and to I about the day and the age that I believe we're now living in. And if it's not the day and the age that we're living in, how many know every day that we live, we're getting closer to the day of the Lord? And he, he says in verse nine of Luke 21, he says, you're gonna hear of wars and uprisings, and he says, do not be frightened. Look at your neighbor and tell him, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And he says, these things must happen, but the end will not come right away. He speaks on, verse 10. He says, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes, famines, pestilences in various places, fearful events, great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will even seize you and persecute you, hand you over, put you in prison. You'll be brought before kings and governors, all on account of my name. Really, Jesus? And he says, but you'll be able in that moment to bear witness or testimony to me. Watch what he says. 
Again, he's telling us about some things that, that I, I, think, I feel like I personally can draw comfort and confidence knowing that nothing that we're up against today is catching God off guard. He's not surprised, he's not caught off guard, and he's still seated at the right hand of God. He's not fretting, he's not sweating, he's not pacing the halls of heaven, worried about what's gonna happen next. He knows the end from the beginning, and he knows at the end that there's ultimate victory for those who will call upon the name and be found in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? So, so he says, you'll bear te- testimony to me, and he says, watch, verse 14, this is powerful, this is, this is, I want you to hang on to this, I want you to grab hold of this. He says, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand. How you will defend yourselves, I'll give you words, I'll give you wisdom. None of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Moving on, verse 26 says, men will faint from fear and anxiety over what is coming upon the earth. Verse 28, when all these things begin to happen, stand up and look up for your salvation is near. He says, when the world sees what's happening, that that I'm telling you in advance, Because I want you to be prepared. I want you to understand that darkness is gonna increase, but you're still gonna have access to my light. He says, when people around you begin to faint with terror and anxiety, he says, for you, you can, if you'll look up, if you'll look up, if you'll be reminded, if you'll stand firm and you'll hold fast to this reality, your salvation is near to you. The light is going to shine brightest in the darkest hour. Somebody say amen. In a world that's fainting with worry and anxiety, I want you through this message today to settle something. Will you just settle something today? And I'm gonna, more than just the words of a preacher, we're gonna get into the words of the Father through the Bible today, but I want you to settle something today, and that's this. In a world that's becoming increasingly dark, in a world that's going to be fainting with worry, fear, and anxiety, settle this today. The heart of the Lord for you is to live in perfect peace. And Jesus said it, John 14, verse 27. He says, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. In other words, it's an inheritance and it's a gift. So you don't have to earn it. He says, because of who you are to me, I'm leaving this with you. And he says, I do not give you as the world gives because there's a measure of peace, there's a measure of comfort, there's a dose of calm that you can get from the things and the places of this world. But he says, I'm not giving you like the world gives because the peace of the world is fleeting and circumstantial. And you always have to be going back for more to that place. But he says, I'm gonna give you a peace, not like the world gives you. My peace is going to be abiding and it's going to transcend your circumstances. It's the kind of peace you can have on the dark days. It's the kind of peace you can stand upon when you, when you deal with something unforeseen and unexpected. It's not the kind of peace that, that you have only when things are going good for you. It's the kind of peace you have in every season, every moment, every hour, because you know I'm good and you know that I am with you you and for you. He says, I'm not going to give you a peace that's like the world gives to you because peace in the world is tied to how things go. But peace in my kingdom is going to be tied to who you know, that you know that I'm your God. You know that I'm with you. You know that I'm your father. You know that I'm your healer. You know that I'm your provider. You know that I'm your helper. You know that I'm your maker. For a believer, peace is not the absence of problems. It's the presence of someone whose name is Jesus. 
He says, I'll give you peace in the midst of the storm. He says, I'll prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 makes it abundantly clear, all, all, all comprehensive. It says, now may the Lord of peace himself give you his peace at all times. Somebody say all times. And in every situation, say every situation. How many know that covers every single moment, every hour of your life? The mountains, the valleys, the expected things, the celebrated things, the unforeseen, the unexpected opposition and challenges. He says, I will give you my peace all times, every situation. So how do we walk this out, Pastor T? Well, I'm glad you asked. I got three things I wanna encourage you with today. And I want you to settle these three things and I want you to go back to what Jesus said earlier when he was saying, there's gonna be some rough days, there's gonna be some darkness that increases in the world. But remember what he said, he said, make up your mind in advance that you won't worry. Make up your mind in advance. He said, determine beforehand that when those things begin to happen in your life and in the earth, that you will decide in advance some things. You'll settle some things. Number one, I wanna encourage you, make up your mind, decide beforehand, make up your mind in advance. When things get tough, who will you turn to? Because here's the fact that we're all, it's not a matter of if, it really is just a matter of when you're gonna run into something in your life that creates the opportunity for you to deal with fear, worry, or anxiety. And did you know that Jesus actually experienced it himself? Hebrews 4, verse 15 says it this way. It says, we don't have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we were, yet lived without sin. And so he's, the Bible's saying everything that you've ever come up against, everything you've ever come across, Jesus faced it, but lived in a way that gave us the example and the pattern of how we could live and make it through. And then you remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? And you remember he had gone away to pray and he says that in verse 44 of Luke 22, it says, being in anguish, speaking of Jesus, being in anguish, your, your translation might say in agony, he prayed more earnestly. His sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground, which is a literal medical condition that someone can experience when they endure such stress, such fear, such worry, such anxiety, that the capillaries and the blood vessels around the eyes begin to be so intensely under pressure that they begin to rupture and blood begins to trickle in to the tear ducts and begins to become mingled with the tears that were flowing from his eyes. He's literally dealing with that. There's so much stress, so much fear, so much anxiety. Do you remember what what he said he said father if there's any way that we could do this another way if there's a way that you could take this cup and cause it to pass for me but you remember what he did his response because Jesus again we just read it he faced everything that you and I are ever gonna face yet he did it without sin so we could look to his example and what was the example that he gave us it says he prayed more earnestly and he said father not my will not my will, but yours be done. Father, I don't understand. I, I don't understand why it has to be this way. I, don't, I know this is not gonna be easy. I know this is gonna be painful. I know I'm gonna have to endure. He said, Father, if there's another way that we could do it, but he prayed and he said, not my will, but yours be done. In other words, Jesus had predetermined when he got to that moment, he was gonna turn to the Father. He said, these circumstances are tough, God, but I trust you. Not my will, but yours be done. It says, Jesus prayed more fervently. And Philippians 4 verse 6 says this, do not be anxious. Here we see that concept again about anything, 
about anything, anything you'll ever come up against, anything you'll ever run up to. Don't be anxious about that thing, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. He turned to the Father. And I don't know about you, but when I encounter fear or worry or anxiety, and I do, it's almost always an indication that in that area of my life, in some way, some form, some fashion, I begin to drift from presenting that situation of my life before God and fully trusting him with the outcome of that area of my life. And, and I understand that there are some medical imbalances and chemical things and everything that people can deal with that cause anxiety or, or worry, and, and, and you ought to get help. Just make sure you're always prioritizing the hand of God in your life over anything that man can do for you. But, but I, I'm just saying that most times when we as believers begin to deal with fear or worry or anxiety, it's like a check engine light in your car. Have you ever had a check engine light go off in your car? Or the gauges on the dashboard of your car that begin to get off right there? And, it, and, and it's an indication that something needs attention. It's an indication that you need to take that vehicle, you need to take that thing, and you need to take it to someone who has specialized skill and expertise in helping to bring about a resolve and a correction, or you risk being sidelined, you risk being broken down, you risk the, the, the adventure, the journey that God has you on being short-circuited or hindered or held back. And I believe that that's what God intends to use anxiety like, that check engine light. When you realize that there's something that you're worrying about, when you realize that there's something that you're fearful about, when you realize there's something that you're anxious about, that's the very thing that you ought to present to God in prayer and petition. Don't let, don't think about prayer as some kind of an obligation. And don't think about prayer as some sort of a religious list of things that you have to discover King James language to present to God. God says the very place that you ought to start with your prayer list is what's worrying you. He says it right there. He said, be anxious for nothing. How? Bring those things to me in prayer and petition and thanksgiving, reminding yourself that I'm good, reminding yourself that there were some other things previously in your life of faith, in your health, in your marriage, in your finances that the enemy lied to you about then, that he said that you wouldn't make it through, that he said was gonna take you out, but you're, here you are, you're still alive, here you are, you're still standing, here you are, you're still moving forward. So he says, bring them to me in prayer and start giving thanks for who I am and what I've already done in your life. He said, that's the way that you can be anxious about nothing. Second Timothy 1 verse 7 says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. When you recognize that there's fear or anxiety operating, understand that that is not God working in that situation. That's the enemy trying to, to cause this counterfeit of faith, which faith is the expectation of God showing up and moving in your life. Fear, worry, and anxiety is the expectation of the enemy showing up in your life and God not following through in your life. Heard it said one time that anxiety is a waste of imagination. It's, it's, it's allowing the enemy to come and say, is God really gonna come through for you? But how many know we are called to live by faith. Determine in advance before you get to that moment who you're going to turn to. Many of the things that plague our culture are because people run into problems in life. When everything's going smoothly, most people are doing good, but then we run into something unforeseen. We run into the abuse. We run in, into the rejection. We run into the things that are being waged in our culture. And, and what many people do is we turn to the wrong person, place, or thing. 
and we see that all the addictions and the abuse and everything that's going on, the anger and the hatred and all the violence and everything that is going on and being waged in our culture are a result of people turning to the wrong person or thing. What do you turn to when things get tough? And, and, and remember, Jesus said, there's a peace that I wanna give you in the middle of the storm that's different than the peace that the world has to offer because again, there's a peace you can find that's temporary, circumstantial, and fleeting. There's a peace you can find in the bottom of a bottle. There's a peace you can find through the pill or the prescription. There's a peace that you can find in the person or the pornography, but it is fleeting and circumstantial. God says, would you turn to me? Would you look to me? Would you, would you cast your cares and your anxieties upon me? Because I care for you. And I see you looking to those other places, people, and things, and I see how it's leaving you empty. And I see how maybe it's bringing you a little bit of relief. I see how maybe it's giving you a little bit of escape. But I see how you're waking up the next morning with a hangover further from God and more empty and void on the inside. And he says, would you just turn to me? And I don't know who I'm speaking to today, but I know in a room this size of people joining us online, there's probably some people who would realize today that you've turned to the wrong person, place, or thing. And I just felt before we move on in the rest of the message to just take a moment and give you an opportunity. I believe God wants to set you free today. And I believe God wants to give you the opportunity to go back to that place and say, God, in those places where I've turned to those other things that give me a sense of peace that's fleeting and circumstantial that doesn't abide with me, I pray, God, today that you would give me the grace and you would give me the strength to begin to turn from those things that are of this world and begin to turn to you and to put my hope and to put my faith and to put my trust in you. So would everyone bow their heads and close their eyes? And if that's you today, you're wrestling with dependency, you're wrestling with addiction, you're turning to other things, people, prescriptions, pornography, whatever it is for you, because you're just looking for some sense of peace, some sense of relief, some sense of escape. Today, I just, I mean, without condemnation, but a gentle breeze of conviction, not because he wants to rub your nose in it, but because he wants to set you free from it, let him show it to you today. And Father, I pray over every person, every man, every woman, every young person, everyone in this room, everyone online who's in that position today. Lord, we didn't, we didn't intend to get there, but some things happened in our life. And Lord, we pray that today you would give us the grace, God, to be set free from those things that have us in bondage or those things that aren't your best plan, Lord, for dealing with and coping with the things that we've run into in life. And I pray right now in the mighty, holy, powerful name of Jesus, freedom, God, over every bondage, over every addiction, over every dependency, in the mighty name of Jesus. And in that place where new freedom is being found today, Lord, we commit ourselves, we determine, we make up our mind in advance when those things begin to roar, when those voices begin to wage in our lives, we're gonna turn to you. We're gonna turn to you. We're gonna be found in this season, in this next season, this new season, a season of freedom, God, on our knees, bringing our cares, our thoughts, our concerns before you, God, with prayer, with petition, with thanksgiving, we're gonna be anxious about nothing. In Jesus' mighty, holy, powerful name, and all God's people said, Amen, amen, amen. Man, God loves you so much, and he's reminding you today, when you run up against those things that bring fear, worry, anxiety, would you turn to him? Number two, make up your mind in advance. Make up your mind in advance. Who will you trust in? Psalm 56, verse three through four, the psalmist had many, many reasons to be 
fearful, worrisome, anxious, armies attacking the nation of Israel, people coming after his life, traps and plots laid up before him. And watch what he said. He said, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. Not just when things are going good, not just when I see everything that God is doing and there's green lights and open doors. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. I was reminded of a few years ago, we were flying to South Texas. I think we were gonna get away to South Padre Island a little bit where we used to live right there in Brownsville. And deep South Texas, right there on the border, right there with Mexico, Brownsville, Texas, across the border was Matamoros, Mexico, and the Rio Grande River running through there and joining the Gulf of Mexico. We were going down, I think we were gonna spend a few days um, spending time as a family, visiting the beach, eating tacos. Come on, that's of the Lord. And I think then I was gonna minister at the church. <laughs> yeah, I think I was gonna minister at the church where I was on staff for several years before we moved to uh, Northeast Kansas. And we had hopped on a plane in Kansas City. We were headed to Houston, Texas, and the flight had gone relatively smoothly. And as we were approaching Houston, though, I, I, I'm fascinated with weather. And out my window right there, I could see these giant thunderheads beginning to rise up on the horizon and I wondered if we would encounter those storms. I was like, I wonder if those are out in the Gulf or if we're gonna encounter them. And, and sure enough, we began to encounter these storms. The pilot came on and he said, I don't know why they have to use these, this kind of terminology. Anyone ever notice that all this terminology doesn't help people that are scared of flying? You, you take off from a terminal, really? Like, and then, and then they, they say, we're making our final descent? Like, I plan on making a few more descents after this one, you know? But he had come on and he had said, we're making our final descent into Houston, Texas. And right as he did, I mean turbulence. How many of you have ever experienced turbulence on a flight? But how many of you have ever experienced extreme turbulence? I mean, not the kind where your drink kind of shakes on the thing or whatever. There's a little hiccup or a bump in the flight. I'm talking about the kind where the plane like loses altitude, like a big jag of altitude all in one instant and everyone on the plane is rattled and shaken. That's the kind of turbulence that we faced in this moment as we were making our final descent into Houston, Texas through these thunderstorms. And I thought, man, this really might be the final descent here, you know? <laughs> Here's what I noticed is that, I mean, I'm talking about this was some major, I, I've flown a lot. This is the only time I've ever experienced turbulence like this. And there were people on the plane that were shrieking in fear. There were people on the plane that were beginning to cry and weep, especially young children, because this was some major league turbulence that we were facing. And I'm looking around and I'm watching some people shrieking, some people literally crying. And then I see some of the seasoned veteran travelers that still just have their earbuds in and they're still just reading the Sky Mall magazine. <laughs> and I thought, man, I want to be that person. But the pilot came on and he said, uh, attention passengers, you may notice we experienced a little turbulence. And I'm like, that's the understatement of the world, buddy, right there, you know. But I appreciated it because you don't want your pilot coming on there freaking out, you know, like... <laughs> Dear God, we're going down, you know? I mean, that's, that's not what you want, you know? So I appreciate his calm demeanor. You, dude, you know, passengers, you may notice that we've experienced a little bit of turbulence and I've instructed the flight attendants to make some precautions and take some measures. You'll notice that the seatbelt light has come on. I was like, I wasn't waiting for the seatbelt light to come on, man. I was buckling that thing up in a hurry. I mean, when you experience turbulence like this, you are getting right with Jesus right there in that moment, you know? I mean, if you're watching something you really shouldn't be watching on that thing, that screen right there in front of you, you are changing the channel to a PG movie right then, you know? And he said, we're, we've, we've experienced just a little bit of turbulence. And he said, we've got some pretty severe thunderstorms in the Houston metro area. We're going to have to do a little zigging and zagging to get you to your destination. But rest assured, we're going to get you home safely. And I thought, man, isn't that like life? You're going to have to do a little zigging and zagging to get to the destination. 
because there's gonna be some storms. And people were shrieking, people were crying, but as long as the pilot had confidence. Listen, it would have been a different story if that cockpit would have, door would have flown open and that guy would have been running out of there putting a parachute on his back, you know? I would have been like, woo, this is about to go down, you know? But there was a calm demeanor. He understood. He said, We're running, we run into some unforeseen, unexpected storms, but you just sit tight, buckle your seatbelt. I'm going to see you through. And Amy and I were talking after the fact, and she was just saying how the Lord began to speak to her and show her that that pilot had a perspective that we didn't have. He had seen everything from the launch from the terminal all the way through the ascent to the peak altitude through the final descent into Houston, Texas. He had a perspective that we didn't have. He could see some things that we couldn't see. He had access to information that we didn't have. He had people at the destination. He had weather radar that was giving him real-time updates. And, and we just realized, wow, isn't it good to just know that God sees things when we're going through storms, unforeseen things, turbulence in life, we can put our trust in Jesus. He, he writes the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. He's got access to people and information that we don't have access to. You can put your trust in Jesus. He will see you through. Isaiah 9 verse 7 says, of the increase of his government and his peace, there will be no end. Did you catch that? Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. Here's the profound truth for us. Any area of your life that increases in the lordship of Jesus Christ will increase in the peace of that area of your life. In your finances, I mean, the world is all, the headlines are, are inflation and recession and potential depression. And I'm just telling you, now's not the time to shrink back from making Jesus or keeping Jesus the Lord of your finances. Now's the time to say, I'm gonna increase the governance of Jesus over my finances. And when I trust that God is the Lord of my finances, he's the Lord of my health, he's the Lord of my marriage, he's the Lord of my ministry, he's the Lord of my career, he's the Lord of my future. There's, when there's increase in the governance of Jesus in any area of your life, you'll note that the peace of God increases in that very area. Make up your mind. Who are you gonna look to? Who are you gonna trust in? Number three, make up your mind in advance. When dark days come, who do you belong to? Matthew chapter six, verse 25 says it this way. Jesus is speaking red letter words in your Bible. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Come on, look at somebody and tell them, do not worry. Look at your other neighbor who was your second choice. Tell them, don't worry. Don't worry. Jesus is saying, don't worry about everyday life. He says, don't worry about the things that the world is consumed with and worried about and preoccupied by whether you have enough food or drink, clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food, your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. He said, they don't plant, they don't harvest, they don't store food in barns, they don't strive for their provision. And it says, your heavenly father feeds them. And he says, aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Come on, look at your neighbor again and say, why, yes, I am. It's a rhetorical question. Aren't you more valuable than the birds of the air? And God takes care of them. Why? Because he created them and because he cares for them. And reading on, 
It says, if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today, thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have little faith? Don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Inflation, recession, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows your needs, so seek the kingdom of God. Seek the kingdom of God first, and watch how all these things will be given to you. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today has enough trouble for its own. I was reminded of another situation that just happens to deal with South Texas, and that's that when we lived on the border, part of life was that you oftentimes had to go through border checkpoints. And especially when we would drive north to come back to West Central Texas and visit our grandparents and visit our family, there was one specific place where every time you could just count on, you were gonna, if you were going north, you were gonna drive through this border checkpoint. And the Lord spoke to me about it one time because we, every time, you know, as you were approaching it, you would see the lights flashing, you would see the traffic begin to back up and you know, oh, they're, they're, they're activating the checkpoint today. And here's the thing is, as we were approaching that checkpoint, there was really one, they were looking for criminal activity and so on and so forth, but there was really one primary matter of concern to the agents at that checkpoint and that was your identity, your citizenship. And here's the thing that I realized one time is that I, I thought, you know what? As we approach those checkpoints, I just have a gratitude in my heart for the men and women who are, who are conducting those checks and for, for the way they're serving our community. But I never, not one time, have ever felt fear, worry, or anxiety as we have approached that checkpoint. Why? Because I was confident in my identity as a citizen of this nation. The Bible says that your citizenship is not of this world, but of heaven. The Bible says that you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a chosen nation, a royal nation set apart for him. That you're part of a family, a heavenly family, and not just any family, a royal family. Your identity is not found or tied up in the systems, the structures of this world, of this culture, of people's opinions, ideas, and preferences. Your identity is found in Christ. Your citizenship is in heaven. And if in an earthly sense as a citizen of a worldly nation, we can have a confidence and a peace and a security as we approach the checkpoints of life, as you are approaching the checkpoints of life and marriage, and health and family, how much more confidence can you have because you realize your identity and your citizenship is found in Christ Jesus. Someone ought to say, thank you, Lord. Man. So I'll, he says, make up your mind in advance not to worry. Make up your mind in advance. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. You're gonna run into some dark days. You're gonna run into some unforeseen, unexpected things. Decide in advance who you're gonna look to, who you're gonna trust in, and decide in advance to remind yourself, I know who I belong to. And I read this once every few months uh, for the benefit of people who have maybe just recently joined us. And I also think it's just good for us as church family to hear this several times a year. And I wanna read just a partial list of what the Bible has to say about your identity in Christ. This is a list that I sat down and just began to type out of my spirit. Again, it's just probably a partial list of just a few of the things that God thinks about you in Christ Jesus. And here it goes. You're a child of God. You're created in his image. You're the first and not the last. You're the head and not the tail. You are chosen and you are loved. In fact, you're his dearly beloved. You're the apple of his eye. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus who gives you the victory. You're blessed when you're coming and you're blessed when you're going. You're blessed in the city and you're blessed in the field. He no longer calls you a servant, but a friend. 
As you trust and obey God, the Bible is very clear. Everything you put your hands to will begin to prosper. You're an ambassador of the highest kingdom representing the King of Kings. You're a co-heir with Christ, part of the family of God. One day you'll rule and reign with him. You are sealed with this, by his spirit. You are called by his name. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You are God's treasure, God's workmanship, God's masterpiece. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. You've been raised to life with Christ and seated in heavenly places. You've been given the mind of Christ and you are the light of the world. In Christ, you have every spiritual blessing. You could do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You're an overcomer, you're victorious. In fact, so victorious that the Bible says you're more than a conqueror. Nothing, yes, nothing, not fear, not darkness, no person, no demon, no sickness, no virus, not even death itself can ever, ever separate you from the love of God that is yours in Christ Jesus. And that is just a a partial list of who you are in Christ. So when the, that day comes, maybe a legitimate reason, man, I got a legitimate reason to have maybe some fear, worry, or anxiety. Decide in advance who you're gonna turn to. Decide in advance who you're gonna trust in and decide in advance to remind yourself, I belong to Jesus. If he cares for the sparrows, if he cares for the lilies, he will provide for me. Would you stand to your feet? Let's respond to God. Let's ask him to speak to us, to minister to us, to strengthen us today, to walk this out, to live this out. And so right where you are today, here's what I wanna ask you to do. Because here's what I know is true, that there's probably in every one of our lives, there's some area where there's a, a, a lie, where there's a scheme, where there's a trap, where there's a deception of anxiety before you, which again is just, it's, it's, the, it's the counterfeit of faith. Faith is the expectation, the hope of what is yet to come when God shows up in your life. And, and fear and worry and anxiety is the counterfeit. It's, it's the expectation, it's the imagination it's the anticipation of what will happen if God doesn't come through in your life. And I really believe it. Every one of our lives, whether it's finances, health, the relationship, the culture of the day, there's something, there's some area of our life where every one of us is probably battling against fear, worry, or anxiety. And so can we just be real as a family today and just know that we, what we've discovered in God's word today is that his heart is for us to have peace his heart is for us to have access to a peace that's transcending and is not circumstantial, but is abiding with us today. His, his heart for us is that we would have to be anxious about nothing because we're able to just trust him and present things before him and know that he's with us and for us. So can we just be real with one another as a family today? And if you have something, if there's a place in your life, any area of your life, any area of your life where you're dealing with a scheme of fear or worry, or anxiety, can we just lift it before God like this, just symbolically? Just lift it, just hold it before him. It's, it's a way that we could just kind of live out in a little small pro, proactive way what it looks like to cast our anxieties before him because he cares for you. And it's, it's a powerful posture because we're presenting something before God. And, and we're also saying, Lord, as you're taking this from me, as I'm leaving this in this room today, would you also just fill me with what I need, fill me with the grace, fill me with the courage, Fill me with the mercy. Fill me with the love of God because the love of God casts out all fear. Just receive today. And, and as you just remain in that posture receiving, would you allow me to pray over you? Father, I just thank you that today your heart is to just help us to settle it 
today that your heart is for your people, every man, every woman, every young adult, to live in perfect peace because of who you are, because of what you've done, your perfect work at the cross of Jesus Christ. Even in the midst of dark days, even in the midst of trials and storms, Lord, you are our peace. And we receive it today and we reject the lies of the enemy and we determine to make up our mind in advance. When that voice begins to speak, begins to roar against us, that voice of fear, worry or anxiety, we predetermine, Lord, we're gonna look to you. We're gonna trust in you. And we're gonna remind ourselves of who we are in Christ and remind ourselves that you care for us, that you are the pilot of our lives. We might experience some storms. We might go through some turbulence, but you see the end from the beginning and you are able as we submit and surrender the Lordship of our life, our marriage, our family, our future to you, you're gonna see us through. And we thank you for it today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And you might just want to stay in a posture of just receiving from God as I just give people an opportunity to come home to God. And say yes to Jesus. Come home to their Heavenly Father. And maybe you once knew God. Maybe you grew up in the church. Maybe you once even served God. But you made some bad choices, made some bad decisions, or maybe you just got preoccupied with building your life and you drifted from him that's okay because that's what the Bible describes as a prodigal son or daughter and, and in the parable that Jesus taught about the prodigal son the father was waiting not judging but waiting and longing and hoping and anticipating the day when the son who once had left to go and try to do it in his own ways and his own strength would return back home. And if that's you today, that's the same posture of the father today. He's not holding you at arm's length because of bad choices, bad decisions. He, he, he's, he's waiting for you with his arms open wide, wait, waiting to receive you, to welcome you, to embrace you back into a relationship with him that transcends anything religion could ever do for you. And so if that's you, would you come home to him today? He, he knew how it was going to go for you. He knew this moment in time would be coming where you would finally just realize, man, I can't do it anymore. I'm weighed down and burdened. And I, I need to come back to my father's house. Or maybe you're here today or joining us online and you've never put your faith, never put your hope in Jesus Christ, never made a confession of faith in Jesus Christ that allows you to receive and draw from the free gift of salvation that you don't earn, you don't get good to get God. God loves you right where you are. The Bible says even while we were enemies of God, even while we were still lost in our trespasses and our sins, that's when Jesus came into your life to bring you home, to rescue you, to restore you. So here's what we're gonna do if that's you. You're a prodigal son or daughter, you've drifted from God or you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, right now is your moment. Lift your hand high towards heaven. That's right now is your moment to say yes to God. Right now is your moment to come home to your father. Right now is your moment to experience what it feels like to have all the weight of sin and guilt and condemnation and shame lifted off of you. Every mistake, every error, every mistake, misstep. He's been there. He's seen it. He knows it's the reason he sent Jesus. Right now, thank you, Lord. Even you joining us online, I think it would be powerfully important for you to make a moment, take a moment, pull off to the side of the road, stand up from your desk, just lift your hand high towards heaven. You're not responding to a person or a preacher. You're responding to your heavenly father. 
If you lifted your hand, you could lower it. And here's what we're gonna do. There were some amazing people, amazing new brothers and sisters in Christ that came home to God today. And if you're part of this church family, you know what's coming. We're gonna pray this prayer with them. We do it for two reasons. One is just to quickly come alongside them and just help them understand and know, man, there's a church family that, that wants to come alongside you, help disciple you, encourage you, equip you, stand with you, walk with you, cry with you, celebrate with you the victories and the freedoms that God's gonna begin to lead you into. And the second reason we do it is because it just reminds us every week when we pray this, come on, even as we're growing in our faith and that's the heart of God for every believer, we're not gonna stay stuck, we're gonna grow, we're gonna mature in our faith. But even as we do, we realize we never graduate from grace, man. Everything God could ever build in our life, it's all built on that foundation, unmerited grace. So come on, can we pray this with some fresh boldness today, man? There were some amazing people that said yes to God, that came home to God today. Come on, repeat after me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I recognize my need for a Savior, and I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price that I could never pay, to make a way that I might have a new life and a fresh start and I give you my life and I give you my trust and because of Jesus because of the cross of Jesus come on say it loudly say it boldly I will never be the same and then put your hands together with all of heaven for the precious people who said yes to God man God is so good God is so good he's with you he's for you hey let's worship the Lord together one more time then we'll come and dismiss you get you about your day